Hello. We're uh, back with another podcast. It is even colder in my car than the last time I complained about it. I've turned up the heat. The problem is the jacket that I wear is very effective in the sense that once I get hot, I will get very, very hot. Um, It's like one of those like insulation jackets that like trap the heat inside. Uh, So yeah, nice, nice fucking dull way to start this podcast talking about jacket insulations, but um, that's what happens when when your chest is a little pierced with with the cold. Um, Got it, pierce, pierce. So funny. Um, For the first time, I actually have topics to talk about for a podcast without needing other people to talk about or needing other people to provide topics for me in, in a bit of a shocking revelation. I can say that I've actually listened to some other folks' podcasts, which is pretty nice. Why was there a guy in the left lane with a green turn light on and he just never turned? What the fuck? We're starting off this podcast, not even two minutes in, and I'm already pissed at a guy. So, so there's a left lane to turn, right? Like at an intersection with street lights. And the dude at the front literally just doesn't turn on a green left turn arrow. Like how fucking stupid do you got to be, dude? Come on. Um, but yeah, Revelation, I listen to podcasts. Um, I did not listen to a single full one, but I listened to some. Um it started off with me being tagged in Jardy's podcast with Sam and Tristan or nobody. And I just about, is this guy literally making a U-turn in the, what the fuck? I, I, I hold on. I, I want to take a picture of this because this is insane. Uh, maybe I'll, but there's a car literal, literally perpendicular to the road right now, like at the intersection, went from the, all the way on the left lane, perpendicular across three other lanes and is, and is just like a, like a, making a T with the, with the road and where he's supposed to go. I don't know what the fuck is going on. Um, but yeah, I got tagged in Jardy's podcast with Sam and Nobody, and apparently it was because I was getting yelled at, and it was actually quite a pleasant getting yelled at. It was Sam saying that she would love to take over Moscow, mainly because even though she's never played there, it's a community that she has really enjoyed being a part of, and you know, that's very small stuff that I just really appreciate. Um... That was always sort of my intention with Moscow. And I realized that it's become a little bit of a niche community for, you know, I think it's mainly centered around me, Tristan and Sam with like, you know, people on the team obviously popping whenever they want. I've acknowledged that, you know, we've drafted and brought in a lot of Sim League veterans that, you know, have a lot of shit going on in, in life. They may not be the most active on Discord as, as they might be if they were first gens. 
which which also makes me really appreciative of uh, Sam and and Tristan, you know, for being in the in the locker room for chatting with me, chatting with the other folks in there. Um, and honestly, a shout out goes out to a bunch of folks like Anorama, Doomsday. Both of them end up um, pretty active in in the locker room, even though they're not on the team. Uh, Doom was, I don't think Doom was ever on the, on the team. And Eno was on the team for a brief stint, but he's also decently active in there. Um, and then, yeah, then it's just the other people on the, on the team, some prospects and it's just a nice place. And I know that when I had initially started or like when I initially took over Moscow, the locker room was always limited to just players and alumni and considering I had a lot of um, good, positive interactions with allowing guests in, in Las Vegas, uh, Blazer and Ferk were basically the Sam and Tristan equivalent in, in Vegas, where both of them were the very active non-players in the locker room, um, you know, making it a good time. So I wanted to, you know, do something a little bit similar, but on a larger scale, bring in more people slowly, um, expanding the locker room, turning it into a real community. And we're about, you know, four or five seasons into it. I've I've settled a little bit as to who we've brought in, um, expanded it a little bit recently, adding in some more Penguins fans, uh, which is a little specific to my personal likings and, you know, what I would like for people to, to discuss. But over time, I'd like to continue adding people to the Moscow locker room. I know Alex joined the other day. Um, he's had a couple of chats, but I know his goal is ma- is mainly to get into every VHL locker room so he can be the next mod. I mean, so he can compete with uh, Sam. But yeah, over, over time, and I suppose if anyone's listening to this podcast and wants a smaller community to talk in hit me up in dms and uh as long as you're not in a not an annoying little piece of shit i'll i'll let you in and we can hang out you and the rest of our team but yeah locker room discussion sort of segues into one of the topics that i had for today which seems to be a bit of a hot topic which is recruitment and retention so I know that there's been a lot of discussion about it on the forums. I've responded quite a bit on forums and in DMs and and, and stuff about retention and locker rooms and recruiting and all that fun jazz. And I know that there will be more pieces about it. There will be much more to be said, will be said. But I also just wanted to talk about it a little bit because I think it's a very important topic and there's a lot of areas to discuss around it. And a big part is that I think that we as a league have made it way too difficult for first gens to really understand what they're walking to when they join this league. And I was talking to Alex earlier today. Alex and I have had a lot of conversations. I think he's just glad that um, I think Sam has made a lot of comments saying whenever Alex tells her something, she just like, you know, smiles and nods. But I actually like pushing back on what Alex says or, or challenging him for what he's saying to, 
you know, elaborate it, elaborate upon it more, provide more information, support the claims. You know, that's that's the kind of stuff that I like to discuss. Wow, there's no traffic at this intersection. That's awesome. Um, but but yeah, so I was I was just saying, you know, look at the life of a typical player as soon as they join the VHL. And there's there's two paths here. You can either join before the trade deadline in a season or after the the trade deadline. And that's very important. That that trade deadline cutoff. If you join after the trade deadline, so basically any recreate or anyone who joins between um or sorry, before trade line and the previous draft and then at trade line to the next draft. I know it's a little confusing, but I'll but I'll clarify. So say that this upcoming trade deadline, people re- recreate. It's the start of the season in 83 draft class. A recreate who joins then will be a waiver or even a free uh, a first gen will, will be a waiver for the rest of that season. Then they'll get VHLM drafted. Nice and simple. If a first gen creates after the trade deadline before this next draft, they're just going to go through this VHLM draft. It's very simple. It's very clear. That's where they're going to play next season. The season after that, they're going to go through both the VHLE and the VHL drafts in the same offseason. That's honestly the simplest path someone can take. And that's already a little too complicated to really be discussing. Now imagine someone who joins before the trade deadline, but after the draft that's just concluded. You are going, that person is going to go through waivers that season and is going to end up in three completely separate drafts that upcoming off season. So if someone was to create today, they would go through the VHLM, VHLE and VHL drafts all in the same off season. There were points where someone who was like VHL drafted and VHL, VHLM drafted and VHL drafted in the same off season genuinely did not know where he was playing until midway through the season when I told him that he was still in the VHLM. And this was, I think, three seasons ago in my first or second season as Moscow GM. Um, Again, that's also partially because that person was not very active. But to have multiple drafts in the same offseason to me has always just seemed like a bit of an issue. It's just setting up first gens for a lot of confusion that can be avoided. Like three drafts for the same player in the same offseason is utterly ridiculous. And I don't understand how we expect first gens to really be going through that. Or even if it's not just three three drafts and the people who don't like the E want to get rid of the E, even the VHL and VHL drafts should not be occurring in the same uh, offseason. There, there, there should be a bit of a gap because you want to, you know, have those very specific segments of someone's career you are either going to get VHLM drafted that offseason or you're getting VHL drafted. So this is what I was talking to Alex about earlier today, and I don't know if he's going to talk about it in VOG or whatever, or whatever. but I, I told him I was going to talk about it in, in this podcast. I think we just need to rework how our waiver system works in the VHLM. It's a development league and a retention league. And I think that one of the best things you can have for retention 
is keeping players on the same team from when they create to when they graduate to the VHLM with certain exceptions. Basically, I think anyone who creates before any trade deadline and the previous draft will stay on that team until they leave the VHLM. Anyone who joins after a trade deadline will then go into the VHLM dispersal draft because they're only going to have around 12 games left in the season. Plus, no one can get signed in the postseason anyway. So anyone who creates from trade deadline to the draft is going to end up in a small dispersal draft. And that sort of makes a little more sense as to what the draft is called. You know, a dispersal draft, people creating between a very, you know, about like three or four update week time period, but it also includes recreates. So you get to, you know, teams get to sort of spread out recreates amongst VHLM teams. Cause I know VHLM teams think, think of very highly of recreates in terms of, you know, they know how they know how to build. They provide a veteran leadership. They're a good locker room presence, all that, all that kind of jazz. So yeah, anyone who creates before, a trend de- a trade deadline in any given season is should stay on that VHLM team for the rest of their season unless they're traded. This is a system that is in effect in the SHL and it's I don't think it works as well there because you can spend up to like four seasons in the minors there. I think that, you know, with the expectation here, if you would only spend really two seasons max in, in the VHLM, there really isn't that much of an issue about, you know, if you sign a player in waivers, they'll be gone by the, like, the offseason after. Um, and especially because it's a development league, you want to you be able to not shuffle players around so much that they're getting confused. And you get to create some sort of familiarity with the community that, that they're around the GM that they're learning for, that they're learning under. And you're just not going from like what happened to me was I signed as a waiver in Halifax and then I ended up getting thrown onto like Minnesota. But again, I, I suppose I was after the, the trade deadline. So my situation made the most sense. But, you know, you'd, you'd, I didn't really create a very deep or significant bond with Halifax in the time I was there outside of the fact that I coordinated with McWolf to sign there and that I knew Sam, who was the GM. It would have been a lot different if I'd spent the majority of the season on the team. If I was a post-draft create, um, and, and at that point, I would be forming a much stronger bond with the team I was on. And it would make more sense that if I was to spend another season down in the VHLM, I would stay with the team that I'm already on. Continuity, familiarity, and you, and if you have a problem with the team that you're on, you can still request a trade. And teams are free to continue getting different players in those trades or picks or whatever they fucking want, you know. I really think that changing it up will eliminate confusion for first gens and just, you know, it's a more seamless experience. I just think there's, there's too much confusion going on right now. There, there's way too many moving pieces in, in the career of a, of a first gen especially if they create before a trade deadline that I think can really just be avoided and should be avoided. So yeah, that, that's my big suggestion. And I know that if someone finds it interesting, it'll come up in BOG. I'm sure it's already been discussed before and it's gone up and down, but 
it would also solve another issue, which has sort of been popping up of complaints of MGMs not offering waivers, which is, I guess, not a recent issue, but one that's happened for a long time where competing teams don't offer on waivers. But obviously, if those waivers can now stick around for like through the next season, if they aren't going into this next draft, there's a much larger incentive for VHL MGMs to be offering on these waivers before the trade deadline, because not only can you develop them over the course of the season for your playoff push, but you could also have them next season instead of having to rely on draft capital to restock. So it's sort of like an incentive program for GMs to be going back to, you know, what's already their job in recruiting or pitching players if they have space. And also just, you know, you continue to develop the players. And, you know, I just really think that the familiarity is a very big piece here. And I think, like, that's very important to me. And that was a large part of my driving logic that if when I had gotten drafted in the SMJHL, which is like their minor leagues in the SHL, if I had signed at that point, I think it was soon after the the draft, and if I had ended up having to go to a different team, like right after that season, it would have sucked for me because I really liked the team that I was on. I was starting to like, you know, meet some people, make some friends in that community, and then just getting pulled away onto a different team for no reason just wouldn't have made sense. I would not have enjoyed it. And I think it, it just kills two birds with one stone. You help out first gens and you also GMs have a larger incentive to be pitching waivers. This, you know, when I was leaving work today, someone was joking around that it's always the Teslas that drive really slow in the left lane. And there's a Tesla right in front of me driving really fucking slow in the left lane. Annoyed. Especially because I almost, I was looking at that car. That's what they were saying too. It's always the car you want. Fucking Model S Tesla driving slow in the left lane. God damn it. Anyways, that is my overarching proposal for how the VHLM could change. How I think it could kill a bunch of birds with one stone for both the VHLM GM activity. Because you can't really count on just draft picks bringing you value that other teams have developed for you. You need, you need to be offering players because you're going to have them for another season or two. And I think that's, that's pretty important. So yeah, that, that's my big idea there. Obviously the, the other issue of, you know, the VHL on being overloaded is a much more intricate issue simply because there's so much variability around it each season. And there was such a large concern about it last season. There was the entire discussion was circling around some teams are completely fucking empty while other teams are completely full. Like Ottawa had a full roster while Mississauga had like three players and everyone agreed that, you know, that that shouldn't be happening. And then now we're way too full. Right. And a big concern that I've always had is the timing of when we're having advertisements, like when they're happening during playoffs, no one can sign them. If they're happening, you know, right after the the draft, you know, teams have already been, you know, planning on how they want to set their rosters. 
uh, teams where like a lot of picks have already done everything. Like you want to be getting people in, like at the start of the off season. At, at the start of the off season is is when you want to be getting folks, and maybe around um, you know maybe trade deadline time, a little bit after trade deadline time. Thank you, Tesla, for getting the fuck out of my lane. Jesus, watching porn on your screen there, buddy. Oh, am I not allowed to say that anymore? Uh, I'll just slap a not safe for work tag on on the podcast so I can't get yelled at. I think that's fair, right? Definitely fair. Everyone's breaking. Why are we? Why are we breaking? There's no traffic lights anymore. Why are we? Why are we breaking? Anyways, um, so yeah, last season the issue was you know the E was too full, but the M how how was like not full, the complete opposite. So we realigned, and then there was a massive drive, and people in the E went inactive, and the M got too full. So it's a weird conundrum, and I feel like it's a constant like motion of how it ends up anyways that there will be like one season where the e is like or not the e where the m is like really empty and then it's really full and then it's really empty and then it's like really full again and there just isn't a perfect way to do it and i feel like when you time up these recruitment drives could have a big impact on it at this point and I know that this is probably uh, probably asking a lot of recruitment, but to be very mindful with the channels that they're targeting, the size of the channels that they're advertising on, because I feel like the channel that they most recently advertised on has a lot of viewers compared to what some of the other YouTube ads have been. We also already had a very decent S71 class that was already pretty full. And when you put out a very big ad on a very, like a big ad in the sense you've put it on a very large channel that gets a lot of viewers, you are going to have a lot of volume coming in from that recruitment. And we already, I would dare say, S81s were already decently prominent by that point. And there really wasn't that much of a, of a reason to really, you know, have such a large drive. And I think that, you know, if you identify exactly where the VHLM is at and sort of tailor the channels that you start advertising on, it could help solve a little bit of these issues. And I'm not even sure if this is possible, but it's something that I was just thinking about that when you know that a channel is very, very popular and the M is already decently full, looking kind of good on numbers, just don't advertise on, on the big channels. And I know that a lot of it is kind of difficult to kind of anticipate, but I feel like you can draw loose connections and and you can sort of assume that if you're, you know, advertising on larger channels with more views, you're going to get more, more people that, that doesn't seem like an absurd, like an absurd claim to make. And I'm not even sure if that specifically applies to this situation completely. I have a hunch, but yeah, targeted recruitment, I think would be smarter and that we're not just recruiting for for the sake of hey, look, we're 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 doing our job. Like it's not enough to just be like doing recruitment drives, but there has to be 
a very specific purpose. How are we recruiting? Are we aware of our current league sizes? Um, all that, all that kind of very important information that I know that RJ for one tracks because he does the the draft class rankings. I know in Blade's podcast, he provided a lot of numbers for for actives. He has APIs that that pull a lot of roster and active related numbers. And I think that those definitely need to start getting used more appropriately in some of these recruitment drives um, just to make some smarter decisions. Not saying that we're making dumb decisions, but just to, you know, be more intentional and, and aware that we don't want a massive draft class or a massive recruitment influx when we're already doing pretty decent. We maybe go to a slightly smaller channel or like a mid-sized channel or maybe go to Reddit this season um, and not just, oh, we got a channel, let's let's do that. And I'm sure I've been talking about the same thing over and over again a little bit at this point. Um, but yeah, I was just curious about whether any of those things are being considered when recruitment drives happen. Um, um, I, know, I know it's difficult to even get people to, to say yes. So recruitment team, you guys do a good job I'm just asking for a little more because I can be a bitch like that. And you guys have to suck it up and deal with it. Um, yeah, those are actually the, the big topics that I really wanted to touch on was how we're handling recruitment and then how we're handling retention, mainly with how we treat waivers. I even talked about how I started listening to podcasts and we're only 26 minutes in. Look at me go. Um, what other podcasts did I listen to? So I listened to like all of Jardy and Sam's bit, but I don't remember anything other than what they spoke about me. I listened to maybe five or 10 minutes of Jardy talking about Tristan, but I can't remember what they talked about. Um, I think I listened to about 25 minutes of one and a half Aussies with Big Al. Forgot what they talked about, except that Al was saying that me and Justin just kind of think of stuff and then are like, hey, this is what we want to do. Just say yes. And then they say yes, and then we do it. And everyone hates it. But it works out. Buddy, why are we going 40 and a 55? Please. Move. Drive. I'm going to cry. Like, I'm actually going 40 right now. Stupid BMW. Oh, it's an old lady. I feel bad now. Still, don't go 40 and a 55, folks. And I'm driving past the 55 speed limit sign, so I'm not lying and saying that it's 55. And I was going 40. For, 42 to be very to be very specific. Um, a lot of hate has been directed towards the VHLE. And I see a lot of perspectives and rationale around it. And something that I just kind of thought of was you know, and, and this is sort of a what if situation that's kind of a little too late to really do anything about it now because the VHLE already exists. 
But what if you opened up a third line exception to the cap where, you know, you, you have your 40 mil cap that your top two lines of forwards and your top two defense pairings and your goalie, your starting goalie along with your backup exemption will continue to cost 40 mil. But instead of having the VHLE to just punt everyone out of, you know, the the VHL completely send them down to the VHLE. If there was another separate cap specifically for players under a certain TPE limit that would then get played on third lines or third pairings in an effort to get those semi-actives onto VHL teams without other issues popping up. And one of the big issues that I imagine if you didn't restrict that use of cap funds would be that the top teams would just take that money and spend on even better players. There was a 45, the cap was raised to 45 million. If you were adequately spending enough, like if you had more than the minimum amount of bodies, like if you had like 12 skaters or something or 10 skaters, 12, 12 skaters, your cap can go up to 45 million. Oh, that was a big crash. Surprised there wasn't more traffic there. Didn't even notice that. Um, so it, it it would be like a more monitored, which again is more of an issue that staff has to deal with. The GMs snitch on each other enough, and one and a half Aussies does a great job checking other teams for compliance. Um, you know, so I'm sure that there would always be some some watchdogs to really see what's what's going on, but funds or a bonus cap specifically for players who meet a certain criteria that would play on a third line just to get them on, on the roster. Um, and then maybe we could have just completely avoided the VHLE. You know, I'm just, just curious to know how that would have worked. But I think one of the fantastic things about the VHLE that one specific group of people need to really appreciate its existence are goalies. And the big part of why, and I think, Cowboy in America, CIA's player, Xavier Booberry, is going to be the absolute prime example of why the VHLE is the best thing that has ever happened for goaltenders. He's coming up as like a 500 plus TPE rookie, or, or like he's like a 500 plus TPE rookie this season. If, if Helsinki was in a bit of a better position, he could have legitimately been in a position to, you know, win rookie of the year he's only about like 150 something or maybe just 100 tp behind papa emeritus who who's just a season season older than him but usually goalies have to come in you know um so back came in as a rookie in the, like after one season in the vhlm and played you know i think like 10, 12 games, something, because um, we kind of sucked and we could give him starts, so we did. But there's no chance of a goalie like that winning rookie of the year. They're just way too low TP. They're not good enough. They're like, they end up sheltered their entire first season, goes to waste or whatever. 
but now careers are nine seasons. So that one season where they would have just played eight backup games is now in the VHLE. They saved their rookie um, label for at least another season or two, maybe even two seasons. If Booberry wasn't the full-time starter this season, he could have been a rookie next season at like 750 TPA. And he guaranteed if Helsinki put together a decent roster by then, would have been a top top three candidate for rookie of the year simply because he would just be that good on paper coming into the league with rookie eligibility. So I know that there's a lot of goalies coming up now. There's uh, Cole Pierce, nobody's player, Bubbles Utonium, Fishy's player, Mirvaldis Arfa, 16Z player, 16Z's player, and a couple other folks. I think Todd Byrne is a goalie, Technonym. Um few other folks um, that are eligible for nine seasons post VHL draft and will get a season in the VHLE to get even more TPE and TPA than they currently have. And they're going to come in as rookies with 450, 500 plus TPA. And they're going to be in a very good position to make a significant impact. So why is there an ambulance and cops there's so many accidents on the road today what the hell is going on hey stay safe folks when you're driving too many accidents that i've seen on like this this uh drive so far like a 30 minute drive and two accidents with like six cop cars but yeah vhle is the best thing that has happened to goalies i don't think a single person who plays goalie should complain about the VHLE existing because you still get to play eight seasons in the VHL, except you can actually be an eight-year starter instead of a seven-year starter. Um, and that's very, 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 very significant. And I don't think that it should be taken lightly, underestimated, and not recognized. I think that it, that it is very important. Um, and one of the best things to happen to, or the best things to come out of the E. And I've heard a, a lot of concerns about, you know, the E not being very engaging. And to that, I have said, the culture around the E just needs to be better. We cannot both be complaining that the E fucking sucks. And then also also the same people say the E is dead. Gee, I wonder why. It's almost like we've created as a community the notion that the that the VHLE is a shit place to be. And then all of a sudden we're like, oh, nobody wants to play there. Like, like you you have to realize the irony of the situation here or like the like cause and effect here. When you say that something is shit and first gens listen to it, like, you know, other like recreates listen to it when they're popular members of the community saying stuff like that, obviously people are just not going to like the E. People are going to go inactive once they reach the E. People just don't want to engage when they get to the E. And you just make VHLE GM's life even harder. Um, so, I don't know. I just, I just think that we as a community set up the VHLE in a position to fail. Um, I don't think it helped either that in their inaugural season, we fucking speed ran that off season that that off season for for no damn good reason um 
but I'm glad that we've standardized it since then. But I will always continue continue to be, you know, fucking annoyed that the season seventy nine into season eighty off season was like a week long, um, and it was just way too fast, too much shit going on, and we tried to implement a full league during during that that time as well. And it, it to, to me it just made no no sense why why we did that, but. Uphill battle from the start. Couple of GMs drop like flies after that. I I sort of disagreed with, you know, a a few of the hirings specifically because I don't think that you want to be putting GMs that already aren't the most known for being Discord active or forum active should be the ones in charge of you know managing a bridge league between people who may or may not reach the VHL. I feel like that, that like with no real like offense or anything taken to people, but that's just not really, that's not, that's not engaging people. That's not retaining people. I always wanted the VHLE to be a league where, you know, that's where the entry level job is. You have new people who are getting their first main GM job after say world junior championships or world championships where they're fresh and the best thing about fresh gms is they're going to be active they're going to put in a lot of fucking time energy effort they're usually very discord active those are the people that you want in the vhle because as i've said before the vhle there isn't as much pressure to be retaining people as there is in the vhlm vhlm is where people get their first experiences of the vhl it is the most important. That's not an entry-level job. The VHLE doesn't have that kind of pressure. And at the same time, GMs can be a little bit competitive because it is a competitive league. They don't have the same handcuffs that the VHLM have. Low pressure, low stakes, but the people that you hire because they're so fresh are perfect for that kind of league a bridge league where you want to get people more engaged with the, with the GM, the GMs are going to want to be creating their own culture. They're so fresh to the league that they don't like, they just haven't gotten burnt out yet. And when you have a lot of veterans that have been like chasing VHL jobs for, for a very long time, and you bring those folks in to the VHLE that are already, you know, kind of a lot less active than, than like other candidates are that, that do get hired the VHLE is just going to stagnate from there and end up where it is now, where there are retention issues, inactivity issues, like stuff like that. So I think that I'll like write this up a little bit because I'm about home and I'll write this up into like a bit of a um, write up and with like timestamps and all that. Cause I think that there are some decent points here, obviously, cause I made them. Haha. <laughs> I'm so awesome. But I do think that there needs to be a little bit more of a discussion and focus in the leadership areas to try to improve things that we have the opportunity to improve. So, yeah, thanks for listening to the podcast. Bye.